0: Welcome to Real Talk Intervention, episode number 23. Stephanie, we're going to talk about uh, intervention today and, and, the, and the impact that teachers have on students from a little bit of a different perspective. Today, we're going to talk about educational leadership. I think uh, educational leadership is a topic that brings out opinions know, a lot of teachers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think when I think about educational leaders, I think a lot of what it comes down to is I think everyone kind of agrees that teaching is kind of a passion project. It's a calling. And a lot of us feel like there's just no way you could ever leave the classroom. So I think teachers, you know, don't really take seriously the possibility of anyone actually leaving the classroom. I feel like I hear all the time that like, you know, it's like if you were a real teacher, if you really had the you passion, wouldn't have left. you really wouldn't have left. You wouldn't have left have yeah.
1: on. Yeah, the idea is if you were supposed to be a teacher, then you're a teacher and that some people actually get into teaching just so they can right. use it as a stepping stone to the next level. But
0: actually, I mean, educational leadership, it's a really crucial piece of what's going on in our schools, what's going on with our intervention students. I mean, the decisions that our leadership makes impacts our resources that I get. It impacts my teaching practice, which of course changes my students' lives dramatically. So, you know, I've been thinking a lot lately about like, what makes a good educational leader? What do teachers want in an educational leader? And Should you, podcast listener and you, Stephanie Garcia, should you be an educational leader?
1: I think there's also a wider conversation going on nationally about leadership roles for women um, and what they're doing in our country, whether they be producing movies or heading up Fortune 500 companies or acting as superintendents of our districts. You know, there's a lot of information out there that shows that women do not have a place at the table when it comes to leadership in any of these areas.
0: Who are the leaders in the education field?
1: While women make up 76% of our teachers in our schools, 52% of our principals are women. And when it comes to superintendents, that's even worse. Um, That looks like right now, 24% of our nation's superintendents are women. Also, this is important to note that females tend to be in superintendent positions at higher age ranges and come with much more experience than the men. And then one final piece of information, the men are still out-earning the women as superintendents in four out of five income district levels.
0: You've got education. It's historically a female-dominated industry it's been women it's always been women it's been one of the few jobs that women could ever get and the higher up you go in the leadership structure the less and less women there are leading us the gender gap problem exists in education as it exists everywhere else but personally i'm even more appalled because of how feminine our profession has been historically and in fact i'm willing to guarantee that the percentage of female leaders even being as high as they are. I'm willing to bet that's a very recent development.
1: A lot of the data that we have is from somewhere between 2012 and 2016. If you look back in just as early as 2000, only 13% of our superintendents were women. So in 17 years, we've only had an 8% growth in the number of female superintendents, which is actually pretty big if you look at historically, but it's, it's definitely not where we need to be as a profession
0: absolutely it's just not right i think we talk a lot about equity and fairness and we talk about demographic lines with standardized tests and and i think the fact is you as a woman you need to reconsider and you need to look at educational leadership not as a giving up or a leaving behind your students but as something really crucial really critical that you need to do because we've got to have the representation of women at the top. And frankly, Stephanie, we've got to have the representation of men in the classroom. So we've got to move out yes. of the classroom and give up those seats so that men can take those seats in the classroom so that we are getting a fair and balanced view of what's going on.
1: We often talk about why aren't our boys doing as well as our girls? Could it be that they don't see anybody that's point. like them?
0: Males consistently lag behind females in school. That is such a great point.
1: I think it's very obvious that there's a problem in education when you look at the fact that we're a female-dominated field, but this is a problem that goes across the board, you know, from everything from the sexual harassment lawsuits that are coming out and the accusations against politicians and, and Hollywood, and we've got... What is it, only like 20% of our, of our Senate is actually female right now, whereas females are, account for, what, 53% of our population? Mm-hmm. So we're, just, we're, under, we're underrepresented in all facets of leadership. I think 5% of Fortune 500 companies have a female CEO. Mm-hmm. How are we supposed to have a voice if we can't even get to the table?
0: Well, and what I think is, is kind of unique in the conversation about how women take on leadership roles is not a new conversation. But I think there is a particular challenge when you're a woman trying to rise to leadership positions in education. If you're trying to rise to the CEO position of a Fortune 500 company, your work environment is not going to be so predominantly female the way your work environment is in education. When you're a woman in education, you are overwhelmingly surrounded by by women. So the traits and behaviors that you are cultivating at work are going to be these female rewarded behaviors.
1: Nurturing. Yes, which
0: is true. I mean, it's true of for women in general across every echelon, but for us, your behaviors that you're cultivating they're going to move you only to the certain point where all of a sudden it just becomes really overwhelmingly male. The the gap just switches so completely and we haven't really had a chance to practice any of the traits that the business world consistently tells women are the traits that they need to use to get ahead. Right. We're not really getting that.
1: When you're looking at what the what the business world is telling females, there's, there's a lot of research out there. And they've looked at people, they've looked at headhunters, chief executives, business school deans, human resources professionals, and all of them have laid out exactly what it is about females that get in the way of leadership positions they're saying that women are often seen as dependable but not very visionary women are less comfortable with self-promotion they more they're more likely to be criticized when they try to grab that spotlight while men still remain threatened by assertive women Also, women aren't socialized to be competitive, unapologetically, and they're also discouraged to drop out along the way. And this is what's interesting too, Sarah. They are also disproportionately penalized for the small mistakes that they make. And then finally, you've got a group of people that can't really get into the positions because they don't have the social capital so the men are going to the bars the men are going to the the golf clubs you know we've even got a vice president who said that he doesn't want to do anything with a female because he's afraid that it's going to look bad so we can't even cultivate those social relationships that are going to help us get ahead.
0: Consider the world of education, like if I'm moving through a business environment, you know, kind of like at the bottom, maybe it's a little more 50/50, then maybe I move into a middle manager role and maybe it's a little more male skewed. But so it's like it's like I'm moving incrementally through through the male dominated world. In education, where's my middle management role where I get to learn how to interact in a male power structure? I'm I'm on my campus and I'm surrounded by women and female behaviors are being are being valued. I'm just going to keep doing those things because those traits are going to be helping me. But then all of a sudden, there's not like these middle manager roles. So maybe I do become department head or maybe I do become like a district leadership person. Maybe that's a middle management position that I could have. But when I want to get to being the person who's guiding the ship, I want to be a principal, I want to be a superintendent, wham, it's all of a sudden it's male world and all of the traits that the business world tells us that men value, I've been doing really well not doing those things because I've been in female world. How am I ever going to impress the men and make them take me seriously when I have been not practicing those behaviors as I move up whatever version of the career ladder education has. Now, Stephanie, this is where I want to call some attention to this book that I was given by an educational consultant. I will link to this book in the blog post. It's a, by Adam Grant. It's a leadership book. It's not an educational leadership book. It, it is a business leadership book. But I think the reason that the consultant was passing it out is because it takes a very different look at what it takes to be a leader in business that is different than all the traits that you and I have just kind of been, been articulating, right? So the book is called called Givers and Takers. And you know, you can read the book, you can go watch Adam Grant's TED Talks. Um, It's very interesting. He's a researcher, and he's done a lot of research on who gets ahead in the world. And I'll, I'll summarize it for you briefly, Stephanie. He defines people into three broad categories, givers, takers, and matchers. So a matcher is the majority of us, and these are people who, if I'm in a relationship where people are treating me well, I return the favor. I treat them well. If I'm in a relationship where I'm not being treated well, I return the favor. I do not treat them well. It's an eye for an eye kind of thing. Then there are takers, which are people that take credit for other people's work. You can recognize a taker because they will only ever help someone who is above them in the power structure. They will never help anyone who can't do anything for them back. And then the final category is a giver. And so a giver is one who just wants to improve the lives of everybody. They want to improve the company. They they just, they have ideas. They want to help. And they're just giving, 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 giving. What, where do you think most teachers fall on this?
1: Uh, well, duh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're givers, right? I mean, that's literally why we have a female-dominated education system, because not only does it require us to be a giver to our students, it's like societally determined that we must be givers too. Like we're the only profession that's gonna be told, well, don't you wanna work for 15 hours after, after school stops? Because you know, you love the kids yes. so much. Don't you wanna give them all that time that's and attention because they deserve it, point. you know? Oh, we're not gonna pay you. <laughs> that's a great point,
0: you're so right.
1: <laughs> we're socially conditioned to be givers as females, but then we are, that is reinforced so in this right. field. So, right. Absolutely reinforced.
0: Adam Grant's thesis, which I think might be one that you're not necessarily expecting, you might think that the takers might do the best. You might think, well, those takers are just going to come yeah. along and they're just going to stab everybody in the back and they're going to get to the top. And and it is true. Takers do very well. But what he found is givers were both the most successful people in the company and the most unsuccessful. Takers tended to go straight to the top and then sort of crash and burn. I mean, you can imagine like the Bernie Madoffs of the world, right? Yeah. The people that they rise meteorically and then it just all falls apart on them. So while the taker strategy may be very successful in the short term, in the long term, people always figure you out. So what causes the givers to be the most successful and the most unsuccessful? Well, his point was basically the a lot of it depends on the environment that the givers are in. If you're a giver in a surrounded by takers, then you're going to just end up being stabbed in the back and you're never going to make it and you're either going to get burned out or you're going to quit. But if you're a giver in the right environment, doing the right things with the right people, being an altruistic person is is the most successful strategy that you can take. The book is written with the idea that being a giver is sort of a strategy that you can use. You become more altruistic. And in the book, it's filled with uh, examples of lawyers and, and uh, businessmen and Fortune 500 companies and entrepreneurs and how they give things away for free and then end up becoming really successful because of, I think, if you want to put too fine a point on it, because of most people's tendency to want to match, <laughs> okay. then they end up becoming very, very successful. So I was given this book in, um, in a training in, in, to, about educational leadership. And I, Stephanie, I just, I had to pause because my first thought was like you, most teachers are givers. Most teachers are females. For example, Stephanie, the, one of the chapters in the book is called The Power of Powerless Communication.
1: Okay. What is, what is powerless communication?
0: You have two strategies when you communicate. You can be dominant or you can use prestige. And dominance, he said, you know, that's being aggressive and assertive, like at the common sales technique that you would imagine. And then prestige is, of course, being an expert. But what he said was that these assertive, aggressive sales techniques that every salesman I've ever encountered in my life uses actually is not the best way to go he said the best way to sell things is to kind of make yourself appear vulnerable make yourself appear weak and to talk as if you're not sure so like oh well I have this idea but I don't I don't really know I'm not really sure if this would work what would you think I've got this thought process and he gave example after example after example of salesmen and lawyers and business people and Stephanie I just got to tell you not one single one of those people was female
1: well of of course if a female was to act unsure of herself they would discount what she was saying and then we would roll right over her if a man does it's a surprising thing so you feel like you can trust him more
0: I felt the same way I Stephanie I've read many books about leadership for women I've gone to I follow many blogs of entrepreneurial women and yes. we've all read I mean Sheryl Sandberg's lean in I mean the number one thing that women are told about communication is that it is this exact type of powerless vulnerable communication that holds us back at work but now here's a book telling us the exact opposite telling us that the most successful men are the men who use powerless communication are the men who appear vulnerable who are i'll just say it who are all the things that i typically associate with women so what is this stephanie what is going on here what is this what is this what do i do and as a (laughs) And I I guess when I thought about this, I said to myself, this is a catch twenty two for education. Yeah. Because this giver strategy, I have no doubt that it is very successful. And I bet you it's even more successful in education than it would be anywhere else. Yes. Because we are so female dominated. This giver strategy is going to make us the best teacher. The best teacher. The best coworker. The best department head.
1: The best superintendent
0: but are we ever going to get there? Is it true? Is what every other woman has been telling us, which is our vulnerable communication is our weakness. Are we ever going to get to the superintendent role if we continue to follow this advice?
1: I think that women are pretty used to mixed messages at this point, you know, be assertive, but you know, be nice. And this feels like Again, like we're trying to morph men into doing something against mm-hmm. their, their mm-hmm. characteristics. And why can't we just as a group realize that we probably need both types of people to be effective? Right. We need a mix. Right.
0: Well, that's what that book sounded like to me. To me, it seemed like a book written to men to encourage them to be more female. I feel like I can say looking at education, looking at the imbalance of our power structure and the fact that we don't have any female superintendents and we don't have enough female principals, it seems to me like the giver strategy probably isn't getting you there in the educational leadership setting. Yeah. Because we know teachers are giving, we know that's our nature. We're just not going there. I guess I'm I guess I'm confused too, Stephanie, because on the one hand, as I'm saying this, as I'm saying all oh, this giver strategy, it clearly doesn't work for women, but On the other hand, I mean, you're right, the the catch-22 of it is you can't be too assertive, you can't be too aggressive, and I think most of the female CEOs out there are trying to tell us not to be afraid of being aggressive and assertive because of what people think of you. But on the other hand, if you are in a giver-dominated environment, like education, the men who are the leaders, they're used to a giver environment. Mm. So an assertive, aggressive woman is going to stand out even more in an education environment as being even more unusual and more of a threat than a man who's kind of used to women playing the business game. Wow. So I don't know. I don't know what my... (laughs) <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what my conclusion is here other than to say maybe this book was the right book because maybe in education women shouldn't be following the be aggressive, be assertive. Maybe women in education who want to be leaders shouldn't be doing that. Maybe we shouldn't be trying to get a seat at the table
1: the way that men do. Okay, you've got these books that are telling me you, you should be altruistic and... It's very strange to me because personality tends to be a little bit more fixed than that. So like how do you just become altruistic or how do you just become more giving? How do you totally change your personality? Like if you're a grumpy person, how does that happen? Like I understand learning these strategies, but...
0: The the advice you do tend to hear over and over again is you do need to be your your own authentic self. Because I mean, you know, you're right too. Like if you want something... And you can't fake it forever. You're not going to be able to fake who you are forever.
1: I would love to be able to say that that who I am is, is very flowery and very sweet and kind. And I think I am very giving. But I do also tend to be very opinionated. And I don't really shy away from having that opinion known.
0: Oh, really? A person who would have a podcast and put it on the internet all about their opinions doesn't shy away yeah. from having their opinions known? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm, sometimes I feel like that's a negative in in this position. I feel like, and I always feel like I'm having to kind of pull it back a little bit or try to change the way I approach something. and And it's hard. It's exhausting.
0: I think a lot of our listeners do feel that way because a lot of the people who listen to our podcast don't feel represented by a lot of what's going on maybe in Austin or in education or with, you know, with yeah. the way that education is going and the opinions about education. So I think a lot of us do feel a little bit nervous about sharing our opinions. And I think a lot of us, myself, maybe I might think, what What do you do if you're trying to get a seat at the
1: table? Do you stand up and aggressively and assertively share that opinion or do you not? Can we have a table that's only filled with one type of person? Uh, that's, that's only addressing one type of need. If you don't have those assertive opinionated people at the table, how do you identify problems? Or do you just sweep those problems under the rug? I mean, I know, and it depends on the district, some districts need more problem solvers than others because some districts are doing just great. But if, if we really wanna have like this growth mindset, how are we ever going to grow if no one's able to identify those failures that we have so that we can address them?
0: we need to find and we need to create environments where you are allowed to be your authentic self and move into the leadership positions where they are going to be most valuable. Every district has different needs. So depending on who you are and who your authentic self is, you know, you you need to find where you where you fit in. But I think you shouldn't feel like you shouldn't go after leadership positions because you are too much of a woman, because you are too much of a giver, because you can't do those aggressive assertive things that the female business books tell you to do. Adam Grant is telling you that those things are the right things to do. And I'm kind of feeling like maybe they really are, particularly in education. If these are the right things to do for the shark-infested waters of Fortune 500 companies, they are probably the right things to do in education even more so because our environment is already so giving.
1: Can you imagine if if in the business world that is currently so focused on you know, doggy dog, could you imagine the, the renaissance that we would have in, in, in politics and in business if we were to have a little bit more of that giving teacher attitude up there in leadership? I mean, wow, if everything wasn't focused on the bottom line and getting mine.
0: Yeah, right. So I mean, I don't know if the if the advice for women as we try to consider moving up the educational ladder, I don't know if the advice for us is to necessarily follow those uh those business books. But I do think Adam Grant you need to put some women in your book because one problem I do have with the book and I will admit none of the examples in the book are female. Oh, all my of gosh, his examples really? of
1: people being successful with this strategy are men. So <laughs> do you think that that says something about the strategy or about how there's so few women in leadership? Assistance?
0: I mean, maybe the women who are in power, they don't they don't utilize that strategy because it's not effective for them. I mean, that's another very possible viable option. Wow. I don't
1: know. Wow.
0: I I think, Stephanie, what we really want to take away from this is if you're a woman in the classroom and you're feeling like you want to make more of a difference in your district, in your class, in the state of Texas, consider educational leadership. Your administrators have a huge impact on what we do in the classroom every day. They do impact your life. They do impact your students' lives. And there's a lot of us out there who need to be rushing out and, and getting a seat at that table, just like there's a lot of women out there right now who are running for office who've never done it before. We've got to do the exact same thing.
1: You've got a lot of people out there who are saying, you know, the way this is working is not working for me, so I want to be able to be a part of that that change. I think I think the
0: point is go out there and get your superintendent certificate. Stop it. Yeah. They'll do it right now. <laughs>
1: Or run for office, so like, you know, hey, maybe I'm not good for educational leadership, but maybe my kind of leadership that could help education would be to also to run for city council. Uh, Sarah and I just became board members for a, a nonprofit organization that works through education um, called Texas Aspires. So that's going to be one way that we're trying to get our voice out there. So there's there's not just one way to get your voice out there. The point is to do it, because until there's more of us out there speaking in pull pulpits or in boardrooms or in superintendent's offices who have our point of view, I don't think anything's going to change. Exactly.
0: I've really enjoyed this conversation, Stephanie, and I would re- we would both really love to hear what you think about this. And so we are on Facebook, Real Talk Intervention. We are also on Twitter at intervene for real And you can email us, RealTalkIntervention at gmail.com. And of course, follow us on our blog, RealTalkIntervention.blogspot.com. Please comment and share. We would love to hear what you have to say about this, this issue. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.